You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 3, Episode 1. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello there and welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy, coming to you from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. Well, folks, welcome back to another year. Now, at the time of releasing this episode, um, the month of January has entirely slipped away on me. I actually intended to release a couple podcasts this month previously, but you know how it is. 2018 is shaping up to be a pretty awesome year here within the office. And uh, when things are shaping up to be good, it results in a lot of work and not a lot of downtime to do these kind of side ventures. And uh, obviously, I think most of you are aware that uh, the Canadian Immigration Podcast is not a money-making venture for Mark Holthy. It is purely a method at this stage of of uh, giving back to my profession, to my colleagues, and to the people out there, um, and just showcasing some of the awesome, awesome lawyers who are doing some pretty cool things out there. And uh, they, in turn, share fantastic insight and knowledge with the rest of us uh, about various immigration um, programs, categories, everything from work permits, study permits, all the way through to permanent residence. And so this Canadian Immigration Podcast has been a lot of fun for me. And I think those of you who've tuned in, who have been faithful listeners, probably wish there were more episodes getting pumped out. Uh, But the reality is, um, especially through January, I've been experimenting with a number of different things. Well, really, actually all of 2017. And that's one of the reasons why there wasn't as many podcasts released last year. So like most of you, I'm located in uh, a smaller center. Well, I shouldn't say like most of you. I am located in a smaller center of Lethbridge, Alberta. And that's where these lovely podcasts are being produced uh, from my new firm, Stringham LLP. And uh, over the the last year, I have been uh, experimenting with a variety of different ways of trying to bring in new work. And, um, you know, for years and years, I focused exclusively on business immigration. I didn't really touch too much on the uh, on the side of individual work, a few spousal sponsorships and things like that. But generally speaking, it was uh, primarily business immigration. And so I loved working with large multinational companies and, uh, you know, and Obviously, this this month of January has kind of exploded and we're doing tons of that work. But I started to drift, uh, you know, into some new areas and to pursue some different things. I did my first um, spousal appeal, I think, to a large extent, just to try to get some different experiences. And I think as most of you who listen to the podcast are aware, it can become a little... Well, immigration is always changing, but it can be stressful. It can be frustrating. It can be... Um, it can become monotonous, uh, the practice of immigration at times. And, and so I've been always looking around to, to try new things, to kind of get those creative juices flowing and to have different experiences and to practice in different ways. And that's, what's given me the energy to, to continue going forward. Um, aside from the fact I have to pay for, uh, you know, uh, for wonderful children and the family that I have and, and the, the living expenses associated with raising a larger family. Uh, so that's definitely a driver, but I'm always looking for ways to get just new experiences and, and new opportunities and to try different things in different ways. And one of the things I've been doing is playing around a little bit with Facebook. And uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to create a private group and just see what I can do with it. And so some of you might be aware that I created the Express Entry Law Facebook group as a way to market to global clients, global individuals all over the world. Um, And uh, obviously the way I've done it is through content marketing. So being helpful and answering people's questions and doing different things and And, um, you know, I'm proud to say that that little group, after one solid year of plugging away, being super helpful, um, it's crossed over 90, well, it's 96,000 members right now. And that's kind of hard to believe 
uh, for me that that group has grown that large, but it's amazing what you can do when you just provide helpful information for people. So once the group started to grow, then I thought, well, what am I going to do with this? And so I've experimented with a few other things, um, you know, uh, rooting people back for, for paid consultations and, and obviously full representation and things like that. And it's been a lot of fun. Uh, but with anything that starts to expand in your office, you have to set up the infrastructure to be able to handle it. So I've been experimenting with a little product called Lexicata, which is not designed as a case management software, but it's more of a, a client relationship management to see, you know, to, to help track where the clients are coming in, um, you know, which avenues are actually producing a return on investment. And so I've been playing around with that a little bit, but it's also got some pretty cool functionality with, uh, you know, online questionnaires and things. So, so that is what has been, you know, eating up my time in January and why I haven't been able to push out a new podcast. But, and some of you are probably wondering, Mark, uh, why do you talk about this? <laughs> some of you might care. Some of you may not. I don't know. That's the one drawback with podcasts is that I record them, release them, and there really isn't a lot of room for comment on the particular episode um, through iTunes where you can listen and subscribe, which I'd encourage you all to do that, or to flip back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast website. And I actually turned off the comments to that because it became overwhelming trying to stay on top of everyone that was uh, that was commenting and, and was hoping to get a response. And so, um, yeah, so I don't get a lot of feedback on these episodes. But if you do have suggestions and you think, hey, Mark, we don't really care about your life or what's going on. We just want you to get to the meat of the topic. Um, send me an email to mholthe, M-H-O-L-T-H-E at stringham.ca. That's S-T-R-I-N-G-A-M, no H, dot C-A. And give me your feedback. I'd love to hear from you. But until that time, um, one thing I always emphasize is this is my podcast and I can do or say whatever I want without restriction and, uh, you know, a subject to people, I guess, who, who offer really good, helpful suggestions and good feedback. I love to take that and then incorporate it into the podcast. But generally speaking, this is kind of my way to kind of do things the way I want to without too much restriction. But if some of you are vehemently against me sharing personal information um, uh, and feel that this isn't the right avenue, send me an email because uh, I'd love to hear from you. And if those of you who get a kick out of hearing me tell my personal stories and what's going on in my life, send me an email as well. And then I'll, I guess I'll put them on the scale and whichever side sends the most positive feedback or negative feedback, um, whichever that may be, then I may consider following the, you know, the majority rules. Anyways, um, this episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast was super fun. I uh, had a chance to catch up with Betsy Kane, who practices in Ottawa, a good friend who has been a previous guest on the podcast. And we talked about the various ways we as Canadian immigration lawyers and those out there who are listening to the podcast, um, uh, the different ways that we can bring in marijuana, uh, that would be cannabis related professionals to fill the huge labor and uh, skill gap that we will be seeing here in the new year as the legalization of marijuana becomes a reality in Canada. And so Betsy just, oh, she's hilarious. It was awesome. All right, so let's just jump to that uh, interview right now with Betsy Kane. Well, I am back here with my good friend, Betsy Kane, who is a Canadian immigration lawyer with Capel Kane, located in our nation's capital, Ottawa, Ontario. Betsy, welcome back. Thanks for having me again, Mark. I I enjoy being on your show. It's actually fun. It gets me away from the dredges, the drudgery of working on immigration files. I think every one of us can concur 100% with that statement, at least lately. Yeah. And this is Betsy's third time on the show, and uh, she's back by popular demand. Uh, my my demand, that is. I love having her. She is uh, a, breath of, a breath of fresh air. And this episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast is super unique, super fun. And I don't know if anyone's talking about this topic, which is bringing marijuana professionals into Canada. And as uh, some of you are probably aware, there's lots of changes happening in our dear country of Canada here with respect to the legalization of marijuana. 
And uh, we thought this would be an awesome, unique topic to cover. And uh, Betsy's had some experience dealing with this. So I thought this is a perfect topic. So, so what do you think, Betsy? What do you think about this whole area? Well, I think it's an opportunity um, for immigration lawyers. It's obviously opportunity for Canadian companies in this space. And with Canadian companies growing and expanding and merging and acquiring other companies in this new space as we prepare for legalization in July 2018, whenever there's a growth industry, there's an immigration demand. And um, bringing marijuana professionals into Canada has already been uh, a thing. Uh, there's a demand for the companies who are in the medical marijuana space. And as we open up for legalization, immigration lawyers and medical mar- and, and marijuana professionals generally will be in demand. And uh, our you know, immigration lawyers are there to plug these professionals into the existing portals, if you will, to get them into Canada. And I have experience and I'd like to talk to you about how I've had the uh, pleasure of bringing in uh, some of these professionals to Canada and how we can do so in the future. What are the issues and how? what are the arguments? How do you do it? What are some of the pitfalls? Very cool. All right. So let's start right at the beginning with a practical example. So if someone's thinking to themselves, what a growing opportunity here, a, a new stream of potentially... Uh, um, uh, fresh new clients. What have you done to this to this point? Given the fact that you know it's just medical marijuana right now, it hasn't been formally legalized yet in the horizon. But what what have you done to this point? Well, as we are new in this area, and because Canadian companies uh, are either ramping up to get licensed, some of them have already been licensed. What we, what I've seen is a lot of management consultants coming in from other countries whether it's in Europe where they have legalized uh, marijuana already or in the United States in the various states where they have um, legalized marijuana use, these individuals who are active in these sectors where it's legal are coming to consult to Canadian companies to help them prepare uh, for the uh, entry into the market, for expansion if they're already in the market, uh, how to, um, from everything on products to grow and genetics to um, business acumen on how to run these companies, how to market these companies. It's the same type of consulting, but it's just a different business. So that's where I've seen um, some of the demand and where obviously there'll be a lot more demand. Where we are seeing demand already and where I can anticipate major uh, push is for marijuana growers people who have experienced growing marijuana. And because of the, um, I guess, lack thereof of experience. These or, or at least are... a documented experience. Right, right. <laughs> and just look at the resume. You know, we have to present the resume and it's quite the thing and the degrees and the letters of reference, all that. It takes a, uh, an interesting uh, turn of events and different type of submissions, if you will. But all this to say is that... Um, the, the tools that we use as immigration lawyers um, are the same, uh, just we have to think differently. So marijuana growers, there is no demand. Uh, there's no, uh, we don't have uh, marijuana growing uh, educational programs in Canada. <laughs> no, I was just actually reading uh, an article, a very interesting article on Vice uh, this weekend about the lack of educational programs across the country to help these companies uh, basically cultivate their own professionals from within Canada. And so they, because we don't have the infrastructure within our educational programs, of course, these companies have to look abroad for the skills. And so they are looking within the, um, within the marijuana industries outside Canada, but they're also looking in the traditional agricultural sector, people who have experienced growing flowers and plants and bushes and all these other types of plants and bringing those skills and utilizing them in the marijuana industry. So all these people who are, you know, agriculturalists or horticulturalists and plant breeders in other sectors are in high demand and will obviously uh, look to expanding their career in Canada because that's where the money is right now, I think. Um, So all this to say is... um, 
That's that's super. I think plant, that, yeah, that's plant super, growers. Plant, yeah, plant growers. That's marijuana super. growers and um, and consultants is where I where I've seen the demand so far. We don't have an educational program, so if you have to make an argument that um, there's no no availability of the skills in the labor current labor market, I think you can make a pretty darn good argument on that. If you had to go the LMIA route, uh, or you had to put an ad on the National Job Bank. <laughs> well, well, this is the, this is the funny part about this whole thing is you know you've got an industry that you know it was basically illegal uh, up until these changes that are <clears throat> that are coming down the pipe, and so you're trying to document the work history and experience of well even Canadians who are looking to apply for the job, <laughs> mm. like what's going on their resume. Well, I've been growing marijuana in BC for about 20 years now, and uh, I've got all the experience. And here's reference letters from my, you know, from my prior customers, and you know, none of that's going to exist. So yeah, none of that's going to exist, and that is the whole rationale of why you can bring in foreign-trained individuals yeah. because there is no Canadian. There's just no history. There's no. no. There's nothing to draw on. And even now, uh, the universities and the and the colleges are are looking to devise programs to meet the industry needs. So until that happens and they ramp up and they get graduates, um, you know, that's that's certainly an area. The other area where I think there's going to be demand, and it's going to be kind of interesting to watch, is we have the seasonal agricultural workers program that pick fruit and vegetables. And now there's this new term, which I, I just cracked up. They're called bud tenders as opposed to bartenders. And these are people who are experienced in picking the buds off the plants that are appropriate for use for processing this product. So we are going to need the traditional seasonal agricultural worker potentially to also be involved. So the whole spectrum from the CEO who has experience to the consultant, to the grower, to the, you know, functional laborer, all of these skills are needed in Canada. We don't have those skill set. So the issue is, how are we going to um, fill these positions once the companies um, expand and are they're already hitting the labor market. So this is just for the growing. That's not, there's whole other aspect of, you know, the medical. Okay, so I've got an idea. Okay, I already know what I'm going to be doing here. Okay. Yeah. First off, I'm going to set up my foreign office in Amsterdam. And then yeah. I think Colorado. And where else do we have in the U.S.? I'm trying to think the other states. California. That are California. Okay. So I'm going to set up my offices there, my recruiting offices. So I'm going to finally, I finally found my niche, Betsy. I've resisted okay. the recruiting. I've resisted, but now this is the one. So a specialized, <laughs> a specialized <laughs> recruiting company designed to bring in uh, marijuana professionals, experts in the area of growing, marketing, distribution, all of the assorted aspects of this uh, amazing new industry that is going to be exploding here in Canada. And so, okay, all right, I know what I'm going to do. Okay, so keep keep going forward here. Fill us in on the next your, your next stage of your master plan. Because folks, if you're looking at, at getting help with bringing in people, anyone who's listening to this podcast, Betsy is going to be the marijuana expert in Canada, hands down. So, Oh, that's, well, anybody can do it, Mark. You just use our tools, like all the tools that we use. You know, we've, we know from the current, um, from the current situation, uh, you know, where uh, various businesses have popped up to respond to uh, the Service Canada's requirement to advertise to underrepresented groups. So we have uh, First Nations jobs, we have youth jobs, we have all these uh, websites now that for $150 they'll advertise and they'll target the segment uh, of the population. And so it's going to be like marijuanajobs.ca. That, that there's going to be that business. I'm adding that to the list. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> the bottom line is, is that this is a whole uncharted territory. And I'm sure that many lawyers have got their feet wet. But if you think about some of the programs that us lawyers use, the first program that comes to mind, which I think employers can use, is the new global talent stream. The new global talent stream under the designated referral partner program, which is the category A, they are looking for high growth hiring companies that are hiring and training people 
and you know making hires and hiring people from um, you know new graduates right up to uh, you know people who can basically learn new skills potentially retrain this is a slam dunk if you ask me on the global talent stream everybody's got investments they're they're you know they've got if they've got a license or they're closed in the licensing process um, I think uh, definitely the global talent stream will uh, help these type of companies. Okay, the labor market impact assessment, even though that's the worst opportunity, but I just finished talking about the fact that we do not have, uh, we don't have a, uh, a cultivated local labor force. So we can prove because we have no for labor force and because we have no educational programs, there'll be a skills shortage and there's gonna be a transfer of skills so I think we're good there. So labor market opinion, not going to be too, too hard. And like you indicated, um, Betsy, within the agriculture sector. So there's a commodity list. And I'm curious as to see how long it will take for marijuana to be added to that commodity list for um, the basically the, the, the type of farming operation that is acceptable for admission into the agriculture stream. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Right, for sure. So we talked about the seasonal agricultural worker program, or if they don't stream it into the seasonal agricultural worker, you can see employers um, coming into this, uh, looking at the low-skilled labor market uh, impact assessment streams for C&D occupations for um, processing and picking. Um, your bud tenders. <laughs> your bud tenders, right, and other, you know, take off the bad leaves whatever. Well, it's so interesting. It's interesting, Betsy, when you bring this up, because I wonder what impact this is going to have on wages. So you've got your traditional farmer, your beet topper, your hoer, your Rogaine hoer, you know, that are traditional, um, you know, within the season agricultural worker program. These are the individuals that are typically coming in from Mexico, Jamaica to work during the, the growing season. And then, you know, then they head home. But but within that wage group, they're all, you know, relatively, um, you know, the, the, the market for those, that produce or that, those, that commodity that's being produced is, is relatively flat. But you insert, because you know as well as I do, growers a grower, whether they're growing marijuana or whatever, that's how they're going to want to classify them within the National Occupational Classification System. So I can see, unless they separate something out for the bud tenders, there's a whole lot more money generated from marijuana than there is from alfalfa in in the field that uh, you know that's being used to grow you know to feed cattle and so yeah. i'm wondering you know if they do add this bud tender category into the knock if it blows up the wage and it screws it up for all of the other industries that are also fitting within that particular knock so um yeah i think that that that's a really good point so they better the set out is, some subset for this so that well, it doesn't I think, mess I think it up yeah, I think they'll distinguish it because the seasonal agricultural worker is seasonal, yeah. whereas because these are in basically secure warehouses, this is not a seasonal occupation. This is right. a full-time year-round. Yeah. The issue is for that low skill is will they – will can they and probably not yeah. in the, under the current system transition to permanent residence, yeah. even though they, they may be – I'm dealing with a guy now um, who's going to be making $120,000 and – I could I could find I could basically slot him into a C or D level occupation potentially and I have to look for because of his salary a higher occupation and I'm going to probably put him in a B occupation but you know Service Canada could come back to me and say you know maybe he's not a B occupation right so that's uh, that's yeah. an issue there well, you, you know, Betsy, I'll jump in just for a second here too. Like, so obviously the, the, the SOP program, the Seasonal Agriculture Worker Program for sure doesn't, doesn't work. But the regular agriculture stream, which is a separate distinct stream, which is year round and it has this national commodities list associated with it, just like the SOP program, I can see this fitting squarely within that particular, you know, that particular category. So obviously the, the semis, the, the high wage and the low wage you know, you'll definitely proceed through those avenues. But there's some restrictions that are associated with people who are going through the agriculture stream. Um, and if what they're growing is on this national commodities list, um, 
they have to play ball. They have to go through exactly the, you know, the particular um, restrictions that are placed on employers who are using or growing or bringing in people to work in those particular occupations. And those, uh, you know, that those farms that are on that national commodities list. So, you know, as, as you talk about this and I think about the ramifications, I can't see how they can do this without creating something new. You know, I think you're right. It I has think you're to right be because, distinct. Because this type of, uh, this type of uh, foreign worker also needs to have pretty um, high level security clearances because in order for, I guess, the companies to meet their regulatory requirements, uh, which are tied to their license, uh, they need a, you know, a, a different caliber of individual and how do you vet them? And then that's the whole issue is can you vet properly vet someone who's not from Canada other than getting a police check? I'm not sure. So, yeah, I agree with you. That is definitely uh, something to think about. And we have to see how Service Canada responds. And I'd like to keep my ear to the ground on that because I think it'd be really interesting. And I'm not sure they'd necessarily come out and create a policy because uh, – I don't know. I don't know. I yeah. think we're a little premature for that, but it'd be interesting to watch. Yeah. The other the other issue or the other avenue uh, are the free trade agreements. And as we now have CETA, the, the uh, European, the comprehensive uh, agreement uh, in Europe, you can get some of the uh, self-employed individuals who are, would be coming in as consultants, for example, um, there could be, or, you know, and independent professionals or contract service providers, you could see potentially, I, I haven't looked at the actual, whether they would fall, whether the the sectors would allow them to come in, but there may be some movement under, under CETA to allow some professionals to come in. And then with NAFTA, there are a whole host of occupations under the current list, and we don't know how long this list will last, and... Um, you know, whether this will be an opportunity for companies in future. And if I could say one thing about NAFTA is if companies are in this space and are looking to hire Americans under the professionals, there are so many professionals under NAFTA. If you want to get your foot in the door now and you have American individuals who would qualify, and I'll talk about the occupations in a moment, this is the time before uh, Mr. Trump uh, pulls the plug on NAFTA to try to seek a three-year work permit for the professionals because it'll just give you a little time for the industry to settle and for immigration and Service Canada to get their feet wet and come up with a more um, concrete and perhaps industry-specific policy. So if you're out there, uh, employers in the marijuana growing space, and you think you're going to be or you're planning to recruit uh, professionals from the United States, I want to go through a list that are currently available of the list of professionals. Now, we are hoping that this, if this was to be renegotiated, um, we would have a more uh, current list of professionals. But I just want to speak to the professionals who are coming in or could come in under NAFTA and obtain a three-year work permit if they had offers for that duration. The first one, which I discussed, was management consultant. The second one, which would be relevant, would be scientific technician technologist if they are working in support of biologists, chemists, um, and potentially um, agricultural science, anybody in the agricultural sciences. Um, pharmacists and uh, doctors, obviously, are individuals uh, who may be recruited by the big um, by the big. Uh, pharmaceutical you know, mm -hmm. players who are already uh, positioning themselves to sell marijuana. Um, so under the scientist occupation where I would suggest that we're going to see the most demand is under uh, agriculturalist or agronomist, chemists, biologists, biochemists. These are basically uh, different names for marijuana growers, horticulturalists, plant breeder, soil scientists. These are the type of occupations under NAFTA that you could currently get with an offer of employment, a three-year work permit, and cover yourself and cover your business if, in fact, you are recruiting um, from the United States. So I just put it out there because NAFTA does have a lot of opportunity. And if you need to seize that opportunity, I recommend you do it sooner than later. 
And that's, and, and that's a good point. I just want to reemphasize that, what Betsy's saying here. If you project a need, like in the immediate future here, <clears throat> we don't know what's going to happen with NAFTA. So these options exist right now. You need to act right away um, because some of these may disappear. Absolutely. <clears throat> or even if the even if the uh, the NAFTA is renegotiated, the whole plan with regard to the list of professional <laughs> occupations is to uh, modernize the list of yes. occupations and maybe some of these occupations which had been on the list and maybe for political reasons won't be on the list in the future, like plant breeder, exactly. you know, federally, federally, um, the government in the United States, uh, is against, um, is, you know, is, has, has determined that growing and, uh, using and selling and advertising and anything to do with the marijuana industry is illegal, despite the fact that it's legal in so many States. So, Politically, it's possible that certain occupations in order to uh, frustrate this industry could be removed from this list. It's possible. Yeah, I think that's a very, very good point. So that's what I would say. Um, the other thing, it's not a great option, but um, the seasonal, sorry, the student work abroad program in the United States has a 12-month work permit for people under 35. That's a one-year work permit. You no longer need to be a student. And so that's another opportunity outside, separate and distinct from NAFTA. So if the person is young, and many young people are coming to work in this industry, that would be another opportunity to bring someone in from the United States, as are other international experience or youth mobility programs with Europe and some with Asia. So there are so many, all of our usual tools all are available. We just have to uh, put a different uh, thinking cap on uh, with regard to um, how we bring in these professionals. The other thing I wanted to talk about when I'm dealing with these uh, individuals is that it's a, it's a different client group and it's different in that if you're used to dealing with any kind of professional, the issue of um, engagement in a behavior which may have, um, <laughs> ha, you know, been a, uh, a crime or um, perhaps un illegal at some point in the history. For example, if you use marijuana or grew marijuana or had experience in the marijuana industry or with marijuana, but you weren't proud of it or anything like this. Um, you have to vet your professionals. So A, you know, to make sure they do not have a criminal conviction. They do not have a driving uh, impaired conviction related to use of marijuana or, or alcohol for that matter. You have to carefully vet, like you would with any client, um, their experience um, and their use or uh, involvement in this field because what they say at the port of entry um, particularly if they don't have a criminal record, what they disclose is very important in terms of presenting a professional profile in terms of making their application for a work permit. So I just caution people who are involved in this space to make sure that the people that are making these applications are properly vetted uh, right away uh, before you even consider a work permit. Um, even when everything's teed up to get the work permit, that they are counseled on how to present themselves at the port of entry, um, and even what they wear, for, for that matter. You don't want someone who is coming in as a management consultant or as a senior executive um, wearing a hat with a big marijuana leaf at the time <laughs> they make their application for a work permit. With their dreadlocks. Or, yeah. <clears throat> Or, you know, um, in presenting their resume, you know, one of the first uh, individuals that I did, uh, I said, you know, like, you know, are you, like I, any lawyer does, I always say, you know, what are your credentials? Do you have a degree in biology? Do you have, uh, you know, letters of reference? And the guy says to me, I have been smoking marijuana since I'm 12 years old. Those are my credentials. <laughs> can't really put that in an application. So vetting and, and, and preparing is so much Usually we vet and prepare the work permit application. Here you have to vet and prepare not only the work permit application, but the person coming through the border and how they say and how they present. So it's interesting. And, you know, 
for someone who isn't really that familiar with marijuana or drugs or street drugs or legal drugs or anything, I'm not exactly the best person to uh, to prepare. But, you know, I think back 30 years and whatever the terminology was or what I remember. Uh, but it's a different it's a different uh, time. You know, people uh, eat marijuana. They drink marijuana oils. They use it in creams. They they put it on their bodies. They inhale it. They put it in diffusers. There's all kinds of uses of marijuana that weren't available. And, you know, these are the kinds of products that are being developed in Canada right now. And you've just got to be very careful and prepare and present and, and have an open mind. And you, as a lawyer, must learn about the industry so that you understand what you're actually presenting. Because it's not only about uh, picking off uh, buds and rolling them in cigarettes and, and smoking them. It's a whole new industry. As many people know, uh, the big breweries are now involved with uh, the cannabis industry in an effort <clears throat> to make a drinkable product so that you can get the uh, THC and other uh, benefits, if you will, of marijuana through other ways other than inhaling it and damaging your lungs. Hmm. Interesting. You know, I was as we went through these lists, and all of those are great tips, and I think someone maybe who who doesn't have a lot of experience with the industry or the product, maybe per se, might be uniquely positioned to counsel these people on what they should or shouldn't do, because in fairness, you're going to be in a very similar paradigm as a, a border officer, because you're going to see this person in the same kind of light. You're going to be able to identify potentially what would uh, cause an officer to question whether this person was a true professional in the sense of whatever the requirements are for the particular um, work permit category or um, yeah, just to, to, to be able to identify um, the same things that, that you see as you're talking with the person that could potentially be a problem for an officer. Now I, I say that in fairness because uh, Betsy, you and I had spent some time on the other side as, as officers in, in, in a prior lifetime. But I think uh, being able to see things through the lens of an officer as well can help significantly in how we're counseling our clients because the average person may not think twice about something, you know, the way a person is dressed or how they conduct themselves or what they say, but it's not what the average person thinks. It's what that particular officer thinks, especially if we're using some of those awesome categories through NAFTA and uh, those professional, um, those professional avenues that are available that are really applied for directly at the port of entry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all new. And, and my first application, I was like so nervous. And I went into in my submission, I had to go, I, I just felt like I had to explain that, you know, this is not legal yet, because it was I just very, it was several years ago, when the companies were just even applying for licensing, I had to explain the whole licensing regime. And I was like, totally prepared. I prepared the guy. The submission was so intense. The guy goes to the port of entry and he got his work permit like in five, five minutes. Five minutes. Like, <laughs> uh -huh. like the, the port of entry didn't really did you consider um, Did you consider the, the, the International Mobility Program Unit, the IMPU? Or did you say, ah, I'm just no, going to run into the border? No, that's definitely, definitely not on my radar with regard to this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would if the client uh, really wanted to have a, a pre-approved opinion. I yeah. would, but yeah, I don't yeah. Know. No, I yeah, understand. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they're going to apply it just like anyone else is going to apply it. I have no problem. But, you yeah. know, if you're an after professional and you're going through the border, why would you use that unless the client was a nervous Nelly and really yeah. wanted you to have that? Um, yeah. Yeah. That, I don't even use that program anymore. I no, used I don't to. either. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I don't know why. I don't just I don't really love that program, but I still give the client the option. Yeah. And for those of you who are tuning in wondering, what the heck is this International international Mobility Program Unit? What is this? Well, essentially, they created it to try and uh, take away some of the need for uh, adjudication right at the port of entry and to provide some form of certainty, although it isn't officially a binding opinion. You can submit your application in advance through these units uh, before your, your client travels. And then they take this opinion with them to the port of entry. And then theoretically, it's designed to uh, give that officer, uh, um, you know, a break, essentially. You know, they can choose to accept that opinion or they can choose to overturn it. But generally speaking, it's, it's an indication that, yeah, we think this, is, uh, this person meets the definition of this category. So therefore, border officer just issue the work permit. Now, 
Now, Betsy, there's one other work permit uh, that I wanted to us to, to address, I guess, in some unique circumstances. And we know if you are ultimately having to go through the LMIA process, it can take a long time. And depending upon the circumstances, by the time you go through advertisements, which are basically useless, uh, for, you know, for this purpose, but what, regardless of the, the process that you follow, it can take a little bit more time than you may necessarily have. If you're a startup company, you've you know, used a recruiting company, a headhunting company to find this ideal CEO for your company and they're looking to come into Canada and you say, oh boy, we're going to have to wait two months before we can get this person in or three months by the time we get the LMIA. What options are, are available for this executive level marijuana uh, professional? Well, uh, that's a great question. Um, essentially, uh, the first issue you would look at, depending on how much time they need to be in Canada initially, is you would look at the new global talent stream exemptions, which allow individuals to work in Canada uh, for up to 15 to 30 days um, at a time, or usually in one year, um, without the work permit. And so what you would have to do is you make an application, you basically set out what you're doing, that you're in the process of getting a work permit, um, you identify the NOC code to ensure that they do fall within the global talent stream, a work permit exemption um, eligibility criteria, which are a NOC O or A occupation. Oh, I actually think it's B2. I'm not sure. Maybe it's just O or A. I've only done O and A's so far. And the NOC code. And you basically are very um, transparent with the port of entry and what you're doing. And if the person only needs to be in Canada up to 30 days, then you could take advantage of that. If you need more than 30 days, well, then there's the issue of how else could you get that individual a work permit? And um, if it's a high growth company, if it's a, a company that um, is well known and, um, you know, has clearly been licensed or very close to the licensing uh stage uh, has VC financing, has other investors, has partnerships with pharmaceutical companies or other companies or they're in merger, act, merger talks, anything where you can see that things are happening um, from a business point of view, I would suggest that you could pitch uh, a work permit under the significant economic uh, benefit to Canada category because these com companies are ramping up so fast and there is so much economic activity, whether it's in, 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 in building their warehouses that need to be secure and in accordance with regulations, um, you know, hiring, whether it's construction workers to build the facility, hiring the growers, whatever, fine, uh, to, to get these companies up and running is incredible. And so just from that, the economic benefit is significant. And I think you certainly can make a case of the significant economic benefit that bringing someone in uh, somewhat early, if you will, before the origin, the official work permit is in place, if you were going through the LMIA or, or the global talent stream, that would certainly be an opportunity. And I think uh, it wouldn't be that difficult to make the argument. Yeah, I agree 100%, Betsy. So basically, folks, what we're talking about here is when you just don't, you don't have enough time to sit around and wait. There's just been this big announcement. The company's come to you and said, we need this person here tomorrow. And you say, well, they likely need an LMIA. So this C10 is a great option to help bridge that gap until the LMIA comes and you can transition to another work permit. But, you know, when you're looking at significant economic benefit to the scale that, that Betsy has identified... Uh, the reality is you could very well get a one-year, even two-year work permit on its face um, through the C10 significant benefit category. So that's awesome. Wow. And a, lot of and a lot of companies, whenever, even if they're small companies, they have a lot of support from the local politicians and the municipalities, um, the business, you know, the chambers of commerce. There's so much information that you can muster to make a significant economic benefit. Uh, argument. So I think that's a wonderful opportunity. And it might be, uh, depending on the client, that I would actually just run with the C10 from the outset and only use the LMIA or the global talent stream as uh, basically plan B. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, I agree, especially with what we're talking about here in the scales. 
Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. So I think there's like a great opportunity, Mark. And, um, you know, in the fields outside Lethbridge, there's opportunity. <laughs> well, it's grow. the temperatures, right? It's the temperatures. So maybe maybe, uh, maybe some of the warmer clients might, climates might be a little bit more conducive to it. But, you know, Lethbridge is warmer than most of the regions in Alberta. We, you know, right now I'm looking outside and I think we're about, I think we're up to about 10 right now, I think, 10 degrees. At least I hopped on my bike and rode it. But yesterday it was, I think, minus 13, minus 14. So we've got huge weather, you know, swings and our summers come uh, a little bit earlier and our winters come a little bit later. So maybe, maybe I'll have well, to... Well, right, right now it's all indoor, yeah, yeah, it is. indoor growing because yeah. of, you know, climate control. But you never know where <laughs> things are going to go with this industry. No, you sure don't. Well, that's awesome. So, so anything I hope else? Given you, yeah. No, I think I, I think we've covered you know the usual ways and and the opportunities for Canadian companies in this space to leverage the uh, foreign worker options and uh, you know stay tuned. You're going to see a lot more stories and I think you're going to see a lot more uh, media around people who don't get in or try to get in, people with convictions that maybe weren't counselled or doing this on their own and realize ah, you know for whatever reason they're you know, everything else works, but unfortunately they're, uh, they could be found, uh, medically, uh, sorry, criminally inadmissible because of past, uh, you know, indiscretions. indiscretions. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and for our listeners, we also want to emphasize that Betsy and I, we know how to deal with that if we need to as well. There are options and, and, you know, different avenues we can pursue to, to overcome some of these past indiscretions if they apply in your circumstances. So, um, so keep that in mind. Okay, Betsy, people know where to find me. How about you? Where's the best way if a company says, oh my goodness, this is, this is an answer to our prayer. We were looking for these, you know, these people. We couldn't find anyone in Canada. We've identified, you know, these 30 people we want to bring in to help kickstart this amazing new business we want to start in our community. Um, how do they reach you? Capelcane.com or just Google Betsy Kane. I should come up there. And um, I'm actually, one thing I did want to mention, yes. it's been on my to-do list, but I am planning on writing a blog uh, sometime in 2018 about this particular issue um, on how to uh, to bring marijuana professionals into Canada. So um, I'm just kind of holding tight and seeing what happens with NAFTA because mm-hmm. I don't want to waste half my blog on something that's not going to be there in six months. Agreed. But um, yeah, check out capelcane.com, the blog section, and uh, should have something up there shortly. Perfect. And we'll make sure that when that eventually happens, then I'll go back and I'll, I'll tag it onto the show notes here. So, and then everybody will have access to it. Great. Well, thanks so much, Betsy. This was a lot of fun. A fun topic. Thank you so much. Not one we've ever covered in the past, so we're breaking new ground, and what a wonderful way to start off 2018. Okay. May it be a green year for you, Mark. (laughs) Thanks, Betsy. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, Betsy's a lot of fun. She has got just an amazing amount of energy and passion, and uh, in this case, really forward-thinking. And I think there's some real great opportunities, um, both within the, you know, the, the industry itself for practitioners who, who uh, feel like they want to delve into that area. And uh, so I, I know that the, you know, the suggestions and the, uh, the ways in which Betsy shared with us um, how, best, how to best use our immigration toolbox uh, was really cool. And so I, I appreciate her taking the time to join us. I want to let all of you know uh, that the best way in the world you can say thanks for these podcasts is to actually go on and rate them. Uh, iTunes does take that into consideration a little bit. And uh, it's always great if you can just go on there and leave a little review. And uh, yeah, it helps to allow the podcast to get a little bit more reach and profile in a very, very busy world here. So I don't sink any money into marketing this. It's purely just organic growth. So if you like what you're listening, please share it with your friends and have them subscribe on iTunes as well. And um, yeah, we'll just keep plugging along with episodes. If you have an idea for future episodes, please send me that email. 
uh, as I in, as I indicated in the introduction, mholthy at stringham.ca, S-T-R-I-N-G-A-M.ca. I'd love to hear your ideas, or if you would like to join me as a guest on the podcast, reach out to me, and uh, and we can talk about possibilities. So thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this unique little episode, and I will see all of you guys again soon in our next episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. And I wish you guys all the best as you navigate through this crazy world of Canadian immigration law, policy, and practice. Canada, greatest country in the world. We want to share the richness of your soil. Place I love my home and native land. We welcome all, and with you we'll stand. We'll set you straight with law, policy, and practice. Here on the Canadian Immigration Podcast. Canadian Immigration Podcast